What's good, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this midweek program of the first full week of the month of April of the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about on a busy show here today. Recap the national championship game for the men's as we tie a bow in the 2022 NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament. Touch on Coach K as his career ended uh, as his 42-year, uh, 47-year uh, as a whole 42-year career at Duke ended on Saturday night in an th- absolutely thrilling game uh, between Duke and North Carolina. We'll get into that. We will give the South Carolina Gamecocks of uh, that of women's basketball. We'll give them their flowers as they are the the 2021-2022 national champions winning their national championship game against UConn on Sunday night. We will get into and destroy and put the stake through the 2021-2022 LA Lakers. I got plenty of things to say as far as they as far as that uh, disgrace of a team is concerned. And also, believe it or not, baseball is just around the corner. You got old Opening day on Thursday. I uh, got a couple of rain outs, but you do have opening day for some teams. And games being played throughout the day on Thursday. I will, uh, of course, give you my my annual season predictions, give you my standings, playoff teams, World Series prediction, the major awards, Cy Young, MVP, Manager of the Year, and also give you a couple of teams that I'm keeping my eye on heading into this 2022 MLB season. But before we get to all of that and mix them a little bit of draft mix them with a little bit of NFL draft uh at towards the end of the month of April this is going to be a predominantly uh NBA and MLB uh oriented shows uh for the next uh, few months or so with uh, with the NFL of course blowing up the uh, sports world like they always do permitting and of course the NFL draft at the end of the month and I will get into uh, the Masters uh, as well uh, with happenings down there at Augusta with Tiger Woods returning as well. So keep an eye out for that. But for now, we shall begin with the uh, with the national championship game that was down in New Orleans as the Rock Chalk Championship, Rock Chalk Kansas Jayhawks. They win the national championship for the first time since 2008. By the final score of 72-69 on Monday night, an absolutely sensational job by Kansas in the second half. They trailed 38-22 to with 2.23 left in the first half, eclipsing and, and, uh, and gaining the title of the largest comeback in, that, in the history of the NCAA uh, Division I Basketball National Championship game. They were 14-2, and Fourteen and two points off of uh, well, excuse me, the po- the points off the turnovers margin was fourteen to two. Kansas outscored North Carolina fourteen to two, and the points off turnovers margin in the second half alone. Their uh, their guys in Braun Martin or Brown, I guess how you pronounce his name, potato potato Martin and Wilson in the first half they all combined between the three of them combined. For nine points in the second half, they all combined for 
32 points in the second half as Kansas went up, went to outscore North Carolina 47 to 29 in the second half, having gone down into the half down 40 to 25. And what I thought the first half, at least in my estimation, was an absolute. Uh, we discussed about the fact that of of the late time, you know, on if these of you follow me on Twitter, I screamed and yelled about it. Why are we having national championship game start at 9:20? Uh, especially when it's two teams, one from the Eastern time zone and the other one from the Central time zone. We got a national championship game starting at 922 at night. I mean, really? But anyway, it's not a here nor there. Uh, the the first half was a complete snooze fest. I mean, the North Carolina Tar Heels wasted no time uh, pouncing on Kansas. Kansas couldn't make a shot, leaving points, uh, leaving points on the table with uh, with uh, with jump shots, missing laps left and right. Uh, and all of a sudden, I thought, well, hey, and and you know, you you heard it a lot. You heard it a lot, especially. Uh, last year after Gonzaga played that absolutely thrilling overtime game uh, against the UCLA in the Final Four last April. You heard a lot of it going into the national championship game against Baylor. Well, you know, will, are, will they be flat? You know, will they be worn out? Will they have any energy left in the tank 48 hours after that emotionally exuberating uh, victory 48 hours before? This, that, and the other. And uh, and what happened? The Gonzaga Bulldogs went out there and got their teeth kicked in uh, by the Baylor Bears, who uh, who ended up winning the national championship of the 2020-2021 uh, college basketball uh, college basketball season. And then, of course, you turn you flip the page to a year later. You know, we're still having the same conversations. At least I heard a little bit of the same talking points on North Carolina, and we'll get to that game in regards to Coach K in a minute and the historical significance of it because it was a thrilling, absolutely thrilling basketball game, one of the greatest basketball games I've ever seen uh, in my life. But coming off of that thrilling, exuberating, uh, mostly draining, gotta admit. Um, Tough, physical. I mean, just just the gutty and gritty game on that on that sat on that Saturday night. It being the late game, also as well with Kansas having the advantage of having the early game, North Carolina having the uh, having the um, having the uh, the having the second game on Final Four on Final Four Saturday. Same talk points. Will they be stale? Will they be tired? How will they re- how will they react? Will they come out flat late? Will there be moments where they run out of gas? Hubert Davis managing his, managing his team, is managing his team's minutes. How will the backcourt with the guards play? Block this, that, and the other. And uh, you know, for for the first twenty minutes of basketball, it didn't seem like that was going that was that was the case. Score at halftime, forty to twenty-five, and up until again, and in Kansas trailed thirty-eight twenty-two with two twenty-three left in the first half. Fifteen point, fifteen point deficit, or excuse me, fifteen point lead, uh, by uh by North Carolina, went by the wayside, and Bill Self and his crew did an absolutely sensational and fantastic job. Uh, coming back in the second half and were just firing on all freaking cylinders uh, in the second half and did a sensational job. Duke, or excuse me, North Carolina's guards 
they went cold. I mean, this is all, it's just all, all there is to it. RJ Davis, Caleb Love did not shoot the ball well in the second half at all whatsoever. Baycott, you have to give him tremendous credit going out there and balling his ass off on that bum ankle. Did a sensational job. 15 points, 15 boards, two assists. Uh, two for two, excuse me, two assists and was nine of 13 from the free throw line. Give him play third, played third, played all but two minutes of, uh, of the, uh, of the two halves of basketball on one ankle. It, but he saw that he rolled it down near the baseline later in the game. Uh, it was bother It was bothering him to no end. You can imagine, but give him tremendous credit. All the, all the credit in the world. I mean, that's what the NCAA tournament is all about. Going out there when you are fatigued, when you're hurt, when you're in pain, but you're going out there and you're giving it your all, and you and you're just and you're getting after it and busting your ass, regardless of how regardless of how you feel. You know that there's a championship on the line. Your teammates need you. Your coaches need you. Your classmates at UNC need you. The school the school needs you. The alumni slash the North Carolina basketball family base needs you and he goes out there and gave his best didn't shoot the ball phenomenally well but his at but he he get he gets an eight he gets an a for effort and he sure did uh, make up for it with the amount of um rebounds he got in the game on monday night by the way speaking of armando baycott first player all time to record six double doubles in a single ncaa tournament he matches david robinson back when he was back at navy uh, matches David Robinson's uh, D1 single season record of 31 double doubles and uh, 31 double doubles, and his 99 rebounds in this year's tournament ranks second all time in the history of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. But you know, Wilson, Braun, and Martin caught fire in the second half. Uh, leaky, uh, leaky Black, R.J. Davis, uh, and uh, Caleb Love, not so much. And Manic didn't get the ball as much as he should have. You know, R.J. Davis took 17 shots, only made five of them. Uh, Brady Manic scored 13 points, two less than R.J. Davis did, and he only took eight. And he only took eight, eight uh, fouls. And he only take took, excuse me, eight jumpers, and got to the free throw line twice. R.J. Davis got to the line, uh, got to the line five times. But if there's any guard that's going to take the hit, though, is it's Caleb Love. Caleb Love was, uh, and I I gave you R.J. Davis's that line. I read the wrong thing. Not instead of highlighting Davis's performance, I meant to highlight Love, which I'll do so right now. He scored the same amount of points as Manic did. Caleb Love was five of twenty-four from the field. I mean, he was he was not bad. And I understand, you know, he's had a phenomenal tournament. Made a sensational shot to beat Duke uh, on on that on that uh, gutsy and clutch three-point shot he made on Saturday night to put Duke away to put the game, you know, to put a what was a back-and-forth, highly contested game uh, out of reach with as little time as left in the second half, but. You know, he did not shoot the ball well whatsoever. 13 points, only 5 of 24 from the field. Uh, meanwhile, Manic only shot the ball eight times, got to the free throw line twice, and still equaled Brady, or excuse me, uh, Caleb Love in points. 
but uh, Caleb Love five of twenty-four from the field, one of eight from three was not good. Was not good whatsoever. And North Carolina, where their team is constructed, and if their backcourt, if their guards not putting the ball in the basket and aren't making plays in the three ball, and their three and their uh, and their three-point jump shot is not falling, it's going to be a, odds are it's going to be a long night for North Carolina. We saw North Carolina. Uh, collapse and, uh, and 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 fall apart by the seams when when Brady Manick got ejected on that asinine flagrant two penalty in their second round game against Baylor, but they were lucky enough to hang on for hang on uh, that Saturday afternoon. But on Monday night, you know they weren't you know, they weren't as fortunate. Their back their backcourt uh, clock struck midnight on their backcourt as far as uh, their lack of as far as their lack of offense. And uh, the Kansas Jayhawks could could do no wrong offensively. The only reason why North Carolina, in all intents and purposes, the only reason why North Carolina was able to stay in the game was because of the fact that they was because of the fact that they out rebounded Kansas by twenty. They out rebounded Kansas by twenty, and they destroyed them specifically as far as getting the uh, as far as getting offensive rebounds. They out rebounded Kansas twenty to seven. Defensive rebounds just about even, but uh, Kansas eighteen points off of eighteen points off of Carolina's thirteen turnovers. North Carolina only managed to score nine points off of Kansas's nine turnovers, and Kansas uh, had more fast break points and did a better job with the against the Tar Heels and fast break points ten to two. But it was a riveting, 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 exciting basketball game. Good game was slow and was lethargic and you know if you weren't checking either checking your phone every five seconds to keep yourself awake or or uh or weren't standing up or talking and doing whatever you could to keep yourself awake you could probably could have fell asleep by halftime but the second half was a totally totally different basketball game exciting riveting i mean the game if you want to go and just for the sake of conversation before we get to uh, Coach K. I want to get to the college basketball first all-in-one monologue, and then I want to attack uh, the pro game with the Lakers in a minute. Uh, but if you take a look at, but if you take a look at the play-by-play uh, sheet coming out of the second half, and I'll give it to you here in a minute, the game got way too close and way too topsy-turvy and competitive. Way, 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 way too quickly. For a perfect exa- for a perfect example, I will start off from when um, I'll start here in the uh, yeah yeah I'll start here in the second half. Okay, get the start the ball start the second half. North Carolina's up forty twenty seven. What happens? David McCormick makes or excuse me forty twenty five. David McCormick jump. Uh, David McCormick gets a dunk with nine, 19-23 to go in the second half, 40-27. Christian Braun, 18-14 in the second half, gets a gets a layup after he gets a rebound off of uh, Baycott's miss underneath the basket, 40-29. What happens then? Caleb Love misses a three-point misses a three-pointer. He was off from the field, like I previously stated. McCormick gets the rebound, goes the other way, gives it to Christian Braun. He makes a jumper to make it 40-31. 
Caleb, Caleb Love shoots a three to make it 43-31. And then this is where the insanity happens. Jalen Wilson, Dave McCormick gets a rebound off of another Caleb Love miss jumper. Wilson, Wilson gets the lab, makes it 43-33. Kansas is, Kansas is down. Uh, Kansas is down 10 points. And then we'll skip the Caleb Love jumper to make it 45-33 and fast forward to when it's uh, and then fast forward from there on out. So it's 45-33 with 16-15 in the second half. Uh, Christian Braun misses a jumper, gets his own rebound, gets the layup to bring Kansas to within 10 again. Caleb Love on North Carolina's next position misses a three-pointer. Braun gets the gets the defensive board. Jalen Wilson the other way makes a layup to make it forty five thirty seven, and then and then after a, uh, a a Brady Manic foul, the TV in a TV timeout, Wilson gets to the free throw line, makes it makes a free throw to make it forty five thirty eight. Next North Carolina possession, Manic misses a three pointer. Wilson gets the defensive rebound, gets fouled by Leaky Black. Uh, Abaji, uh, Abaji uh, heads to the free throw line, misses the free throw. It's still 45-38. Then it's a uh, Kansas dead ball team rebound. Abaji goes to the line for two, uh, makes one, misses the other one. It's 45-39. It's then after a couple of uh, empty possessions, uh, for, or excuse me, after an empty possession by North Carolina, uh, Kansas gets the ball back with 14:24 to go after David McCormick grabs the defensive board, and and just, and Jawan Harris Jr. makes a jump with 14:12 to go to bring Kansas to within four points. Armando Baycott gets fouled by Christian Braun, splits the two free throws, makes one, makes the first one, misses the second one. It's 46-41 North Carolina. And then uh, Christian Braun gets the defensive rebound, gets fouled by Leaky Black. Uh, OJ Abaji uh, misses his free throw. Kansas gets the uh, dead ball team rebound. Uh, gets the dead ball team rebound. Abaji misses the other free throw. Still 46-41. And then you know I'll skip uh, the Mace Nations with the exchange of you know turnovers, steal, miss layup. Then with uh, and then Brady Manic gets Brady Manic blocks a shot with 13-14 to go. Kansas gets the offensive rebound. McCormick makes a jumper to bring Kansas to within three. R.J. Davis on North Carolina's next possession turns the ball over, stolen by Jawan Harris Jr. and Christian Braun goes up for the easy layup to bring Kansas to within to bring Kansas to within one. Then after a North Carolina time North Carolina timeout and a Caleb Love made layup. Christian Braun on Kansas' next possession uh, scores a layup, crediting Jalen Wilson with the assist to bring Kansas to within one again at 48-47. And then at a, and then you and then after a Puff Johnson made dunk to to extend North Carolina's lead to 50-47, and an Abaji made a layup to bring Kansas to within one again at 50-49. Then. Uh, Abaji gets fouled, gets fouled, uh, draws the and one. Puff Johnson commits the foul, ties the game up at 50 apiece. Then after an Armando Baycott missed jumper, Braun, who was crashing the boards all night long, grabs the defensive board. Remy Martin on the Kansas next and swing possession with 10-23 to go in the second half. Makes a three-pointer to give Kansas the lead at 53-50. So if so, the game got if you're counting at home, 
the 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 score of the game got was from forty to twenty nine to let's say forty six forty five way too quickly from forty to twenty nine to forty six forty five at the snap of a finger. North Carolina allowed Kansas to get back in that game way, 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 way too quickly. Way too quickly. But Bill Self and the crew gets their first national championship since 2008. Congratulations to them. And then, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the absolute thriller that was on Saturday between North Carolina and Duke. I had a feeling that Villanova wasn't going to win. They missed their missed the guy, the torn Achilles. You know he and they and they are not a very deep basketball team. They're fundamentally sound and not a deep basketball team. So I did. So I saw that loss against Kansas in the first Final Four game on Saturday, coming from a mile away. But getting to a classic between Duke and UNC. Uh, what? First, let me do the game itself. I won't de- go deep diving into it too much because of the fact it's a couple days old and North Carolina didn't, didn't end up winning the national championship. And I want to more address it from a Coach K standpoint of things more than breaking down the game as if I was doing this show on a, on a Sunday morning for you. But that was as riveting and as exciting and entertaining of, of a college basketball NCAA tournament, Final Four, you name it. As entertaining of a game that you are ever, 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 ever going to see. I mean that game, yeah, you and and Duke and every single uh, and every single uh, post in every single uh, tournament game that Duke that Duke had played in or or yeah had played in uh, was exciting and riveting down to the bitter end. Uh, down to the bitter end, minus their first round game from the second round onward, they had played some some uh some very entertaining and compelling basketball games with of course the Mich- their game against Michigan State in the second round being the being the first one to pop into my head but that would you knew it right right from as from the opening com- from the first uh TV timeout that this that this was going to be another one of those back and forth uh Duke UNC uh Duke UNC doozies right from the jump i mean just it was Duke led at halftime, thirty-seven, thirty-four up by three, and UNC outscored Duke in the second half, forty-seven to forty. I mean, it was just a sensational. I, 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 I can't, I can't talk about how how good that game, uh, how good, how good of a game that was. Enough. I mean, it was just if you're, I don't see if you if you are a basketball fan or in particular a college basketball fan, how. Uh, how how you how you didn't like that game? I mean, and I came on the air and I t- I came on the air and I told you guys that this had the potential to be one of the greatest college basketball games of all time. I wish it would have ended with a with a buzzer beater. I I I wish. Oh my goodness, I wish. I wish that the ending of this game, regardless who would have won, I wish that 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 could have had the icing on the cake. On the on the cake with the game winning or overtime forcing buzzer beater, but uh, but it, it did, but it was so good, but it was good without it. Nevertheless, uh, just the Baycott uh, was 
tremendous effort, you know, went down, went halfway down the uh, Superdome tunnel. So this is too long of a walk. Screw it. I'll be, I'll be able to manage with the bad ankle. Brady Manic, sensational job. Three of six from three. 14 points uh, on the 14 points on the night. Four out of North Carolina's five starters had uh, had double digits with Caleb Love, who made the shot of the night to put the game away. A sensational night by him. 11 of 20 from the field, 28 points, uh, four rebounds and an assist. I mean, just a sensational job by him. Uh, sensational job by them, and as a point that I've made all postseason long is that you know winning these tournament games it comes down to making your free throws, and uh, and Duke for the first time all for the first time all tournament you know struggled at the free throw line. They as a team only they as a team shot sixty percent from the stripe, uh, twelve of twenty if you're doing the math at home. I got out rebounded by North Carolina fifty to uh 50 to 40 50 to 41 and they shot as a team 22 percent from uh from three uh, albeit they scored 77 points and and the largest and the largest lead combined between the two teams the largest lead combined was 13 points north the most north Carolina led was six most duke led was seven sensational game sensational um, but you know, end of the uh, end of an era for Coach K. You know, forty-two years at Duke, forty-seven years coaching. If you include his years at West Point, I mean, just an absolutely. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't say enough about him. Uh, you know, he has been the catalyst and has been the uh, the, uh, the the guy that's been able to move the needle for college basketball for decades. You either love him. Either love him or you hate him. I'm kind of uh, kind of fall of in the in the middle, slightly leaning towards love, where I'm indifferent, when I where I'm indifferent about towards Coach K, but I don't but I don't hate him under, under any uh, sense of circumstances. But you know he is you know one of the greatest. I don't need to read down his resume. You know it already, and if you don't know it, look it up. Uh, but you know, end of it's you know it was crazy because you know I've been pulling for Duke. Uh, especially after the first weekend, where my again, where my bracket went to hell, uh, but I was pulling for them to make the final four, which they ended up doing. I was pulling for them to make that national championship and, to, and for that young Duke team to send Coach K uh, out on top as a champion. But for whatever the reason, it you know it didn't happen. I feel terribly for those kids. You know those kids probably. The entire weight of the world was on their shoulders once the clock hit triple zero. Um, I get, I guarantee they were just, they were devastated and, 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 uh, and, and just, and, and just heartbroken and, and, and crestfallen that they didn't get their coach, uh, who's like a father's like a grandfather to him. Didn't get them that championship, um, to close out his final season. But, um, you know, and people were moaning, groaning, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't shake their hands, you know, in the, in the, in the shakeup. You know, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I understand, you know, the anti-Duke person, the person that hates Duke, that, re that relishes in, in Duke's, uh, pain and suffering and games that, and the big games that they do lose. That the entire anti-Duke and ACC world goes gaga and throws a parade, but, you know, they're young kids, you know, I mean, they're my, I mean, come on, they're my age, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age. So, 
you know, and it wasn't like they were doing it out of necessarily bad sportsmanship. You know, I mean, think when when do you see in sports, you know, whether it be the NBA, whether it's whether it's in with the with the national championship in basketball, football, the NBA finals, or uh, or the Super Bowl, where if a team loses, especially if it's a it's a, if it's a tough. A uh, close classic uh, game in a championship setting. What? When do you see the? Uh, you know, when do you see players trigger happy to go and flock to shake and shake and congratulate? Especially if it's a, if it's a, you know if they're playing a rival team. But even if they aren't playing rivals, when do you see you know they flock and go ahead and, and shake a whole bunch of players' hands? You know, so I think that stuff's a little bit old. That you know, that's the anti-Duke angle. I will look at Duke up. Uh, screw Duke, poor sports, everything else. Coach K, Coach K stood on the floor, shook everybody. They put the camera on him. He was the only Duke player in the freaking handshake line. Shook everybody else's hand. So, but I'm not gonna kill uh, the players for that. The young kids, heartbroken, tears probably just by by the by every waning second and moment about the. Flow out of their eyes like waterworks, heartbroken that, they, that their a that their season's over, b that they won't play and have a chance to compete for a national championship, and c that 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 it was their coach's final game and they didn't give him a ring. So, so I'm not so I'm not going to make a big I'm not going to make a big deal about that. I mean, and there's you won't find too often in championship settings where a team loses in heartbreaking fashion. That they'll stay on. That they'll make sure they'll stay on the field for an extra five, ten minutes, and make sure that they shake the hand of uh, shake the hand of their opponent that lost. I mean, yeah, uh, you, 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 you know, I don't, I don't see in the Super Bowl. I just, you know, come on, did 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 uh, did Joe Burrow and uh, I can't remember if he did or didn't. Um, but uh, you know, how many times you see those famous shots? You know, and especially in the Super Bowl because it's the only thing that you can. That in college football, you can relate it to the to the one and done uh, playoff type format. You know, when in football you see the the team, especially if they lose, like the my Bengals, a great example. You know, they go out and they and they and they run to the opposing team. You might see one or two players do it, but you you don't see it very often. And nobody screams and yells about poor sportsmanship because they realize. It, it, championship aspirations. It was a heartbreaking way that their season had to end. They're not going to compete and win it, or and or win a championship. That you know they're going to clock his triple zeros. It hits them that they lost. If they shake somebody's hand on the way out the door, so be it. But if not, they're not going to go out of their way and doing it. Not not a not a chance. I mean, I'm I'm looking at a picture right now. It's the background of my uh, of my iPad. I'm looking at a picture right now with the yellow and uh, and uh, and yellow and blue confetti raining raining from the heavens at SoFi Stadium when the Rams won the Super Bowl. I'm looking at a picture right now with Tyler Boyd in full uniform with his hands on his hips, standing on the standing on the sideline. While the confetti's raining down, for, so that's a completely overblown thing. Uh, but Coach K, you know, game's gonna miss him. You know, he provided that he provided that spark with college basketball that uh, you know that was that was good for the game. You know, and and in college football and college basketball, the coaches are are you know the superstar players get their attention, but they come and go. The coaches are always going to be there.
And Coach K had had that had that presence about him where now I'm in the minority, but but if you're a diehard college basketball fan, which I am not, you either loved them or you hated them. You if you're a diehard, there's no in between. If you if you live and breathe college basketball, you watch it from essentially Thanksgiving week up until the national championship in early April. You either loved Coach K or you hated his guts. Or your feelings on him vary depending on whether or not you you bet against Duke or you betted for him. But a legacy that is just absolutely sensational. And he said after the game, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, my legacy and, and letting it sink in. It's my final game. And I, and I said all throughout the tournament how he has that grandfatherly approach with his players. How he, how he cares for them how they feel, their emotions, what's going through their head. He, he cared about them. He was like, listen, I got a bunch of heartbroken young adults, college kids that are crying their eyeballs out because of the fact that our season's over and we're not going to be competing for a national championship. I know, in the, and just, you know, I understand it's not the way he is. He isn't going to come out and say, I'm, yeah, they're crying because they know that they didn't give me a championship. He's not going to come out and say, you know, listen, it stinks, it stings that I lost to North Carolina. You know, the last few times I, we played North Carolina, we lost to him. The first time my final home game at Cameron Indoor, and then, of course, in my final, final four, we lost. He's not going to say that, but you know in the back of his mind that it's something that's that's going to bother him until the day he perishes. But, uh, you know, he said, I got a bunch of kids that's going to be crying their eyeballs out. And uh, I th- and he realized that what was what was still best for the team and the morale of his and this and the self-esteem and the ego of, of his players was that that they got them through the mourning period of dealing with the loss. Cause you know, and I'll be it as much as, as much as going to, as much again, never going to say it publicly, but as much as it, it, it pains coach K that he, that he lost his final game of his coaching career. That he wasn't going to have an opportunity to coach a national championship that he's not going to retire a national champion. And that he lost to the, to the tobacco road rival, uh, North Carolina and his final matchup against them. And in the first ever, uh, first ever NCAA tournament matchup between the two in the final four, that's gonna bother him. But at the end of the day, it, what that what that it was his last. But it wasn't his first time losing to North Carolina, and it wasn't his first time losing in a final four, and it wasn't his first time losing an NCAA tournament game. Not to mention, you know, when you're 75 years of age, your perspective on life when you've seen when you've seen and lived through a bunch of crap that Coach K has in his life, not just as a basketball coach, but just as his, just in life in general with his 75 years here on this planet, that you know you 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 you, you got you have the 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 wisdom. That's the word I'm looking for the wisdom that comes that comes with his age. You know, you, you're able to find a silver lining. You're able to, to, to seek the wisdom and the teachable moment and things like that. You know, he, he's able to have a different outlook and a different perspective on it. You know, the, in 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, you know, it's all or nothing. And rightfully so, because that's us young people. That's that's how we are. You know, when when we're in when we're in arenas like that, we live for the moment. And when things like that, like winning a, a final four game and not advancing to a national championship, you know that it that that horror is now a reality. It, it crushes us. 
But, you know, it, it, for, for Coach K's final game, it sure was a thrill. It sure, it sure was a thriller. It sure was a thrill. And lastly, give the flowers to, uh, give the flowers to the, uh, you know, a school that I applied to, uh, in, uh, what, the late winter, early spring of 2020, uh, in the University of South Carolina, which I hope, uh, will be, uh, gracious when yours truly tries or excuse me attempts to give them one to get to get one last crack at them in this current admissions cycle to transfer but anyways not here nor there uh dawn staley a fantastic job by her she became the first not not just black woman but first black coach period the first black coach in division one college basketball history men's or women's now reminder to win multiple national championships she accomplished that her and her sensational uh south carolina gamecocks against the uh, yukon huskies on sunday night up in minneapolis want to give her and that team uh their respective due and their flowers we take a break baggett la lakers right after this Welcome back to the Amatelaki TIS podcast. <sighs> I wasn't planning on talking about these sack of bums for a reason and for a purpose because they are an absolute complete waste of time. But yet, they, some stories and some segments some rants just produce and write themselves the los angeles lakers ladies and gentlemen will not be competing past the 82nd and final regular season game of the 2021-2022 nba season they will not be competing in the play-in tournament they will not have an opportunity to get a top to finish in one of the top eight uh, spots in the Western Conference. The Los Angeles Lakers were eliminated last night from playoff contention. The Los Angeles Lakers are a disgrace. They are a disgrace. They are an embarrassment. 
They are a joke. They are pathetic. They are a waste of time. They are offensive to the senses. They are deplorable beyond the words in the English language can comprehend. And I will break it down and share the blame on on a couple of different on a few different levels. First off, the front office and the ownership is inept. From whether it's Genie Bus, and this is part of the reason why I could not take it seriously from anybody. Crowning Genie Bus out to be some icon and to be some revolutionary because she was a woman owner within the NBA that won a championship. Time out. LeBron James is on that team. And I'm not saying that Jeannie Buss doesn't know how to run a team. I'm not saying that Jeannie Buss should not own the Los Angeles Angeles Lakers. It's not what I'm saying at all. I am all for women getting involved in sports and having a say and being in positions to play. That stuff, that, that is not my issue. My issue is don't put her on the pedestal of being a revolutionary or a trailblazer when everybody and the mother knows she wasn't the main one calling the shots. LeBron James was. Same reason why we don't give Dan Gilbert to being some sensational NBA owner with the Cavs because we all knew LeBron James was calling the shots behind the scenes. And let's also keep in mind that not counting that championship, the Lakers under Jeannie Buss's reign have not been all that impressive. The ownership in the front office is inept. What purpose Kurt and Linda Rambis have as far as decision-making, I'll never know. Jeannie Buss has no idea which way is up. The Rob Palenka is a puppet who is lost, who doesn't have a freaking clue in the world. More interested in photo ops and rubbing elbows and and being an, an emotional support system for Vanessa Bryant than he is about than he is uh, keeping in store of Kobe's legacy and honoring Kobe's legacy by winning basketball games and competing for championships plural on a year in year out basis. They did absolutely nothing. Nothing at the trade deadline. They traded away their future. By future, let me name you the names. Without Off the top of my head, without even looking it up, swear to God. Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram. KCP. Uh, Kyle Kuzma. Shall I continue? Danny Green. You want me to go on? Traded away their future. Players that they literally tanked to draft. 
They get LeBron James falls into their lap, and I'll get them in a minute because he's just as guilty as everybody else in this. Traded away their future. To put together, I mean, I swear to you, when Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley must, must have said about 15 million times since he's blue in the face, when you put together, it's a quote from him, put together that team of those old-ass geezers, as he would say on television, time in and time out, night after night, week after week after week. Put they essentially put it to get put together an all star team from seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. It's 2020. Putting a it's putting a starting five together with a bunch of players in their mid thirties with the amount of youth that is circling around the NBA today is not a recipe for winning championships. Okay, and it's not a knock against the good NBA and the great NBA player that's competing in their thirties, but the game is a lot younger now. Devin Booker, okay, Devin Booker, Giannis, um, uh, you, uh, Joel Embiid, Jokic, Luca. I mean, I could I could sit here and name the names. John Morant. I shall I continue? Shall I continue? They put together an all-star team that would have been favored that would have won an NBA championship if the year if the year that Lakers team was assembled was back was back when I was in middle school in the early mid 2010s. Okay? They did nothing at the deadline when their season was hanging in the balance. What the Rambus have as far as their input in the front office I've had, I have no idea. Genie Bus ain't that much better from the ownership group. Rob Palenka's losses and have a freaking clue in the world. One of the most overrated waste of my damn time GMs I've ever came across since Brody Van Wagen with the Mets. I mean, just an absolute, complete, complete waste of time. Furthermore, how many times did I sit up here on this show? And granted, I did I did pick the Lakers to go far in the playoffs. I believe if I if I'm not mistaken, I believe did I think I I think I picked them to make the Western Conference Finals and I picked the Suns to make it back to the finals just to be different. I'm not positive. I can check the tape. I could be wrong. You could tweet at me and say, hey Jai Shears, you got it wrong. You get no argument from me. But off the top of my head, without going back and listening to it, and as I'm talking to you guys live. I believe I picked the Lakers to make a deep playoff run and get to the Western Conference Finals. And with a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis on it, that won a championship two seasons prior, I didn't expect that to be a hard ask or a or a tough task for them to carry out. And a Western Conference in which you look at it is not exactly all that good. I mean, you look at the teams that are making the playing tournament. The San Antonio Spurs, who are who are who are. 11 games below 500 the New Orleans Pelicans who 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 are whose future within the city of New Orleans is is hanging by a thread god knows when the next time we're going to see Zion Williamson in the Pelican uniform they made the play in tournament the LA Clippers with no Kawhi Leonard and no Paul George they found a way to make it into the play in tournament part of the reason why Tyron Lewis their head coach one of the best coaches this 
side of this side of the guy in uh, Boston and um and Monty Williams that you're going to find in the NBA in 2022. Tyron Lue's head coach. The Clippers are in the playing. Tyron Lue, a coach that LeBron hung out to dry and didn't want to bring with them in Los Angeles. They settled on Frank Vogel instead. They're in the playing. The Minnesota Timberwolves hold the seventh seed. Depending on how they're, uh, depending on how the end of their season between them and Denver, they're currently fighting of fighting of who's going to get the seven and who's going to get the six and avoid the playing altogether. With Minnesota at forty-five and thirty-five, but the three teams I'm more focused on are the Clippers that had no Kawhi and no Paul George with that with that dynamic duo, the Pelicans with no Zion and their future within the city that they that they play in looking as bleak as ever, and the San Antonio Spurs with a, with a Greg Popovich who's on the back nine of his NBA coaching career with, I mean, can you name, can, unless you're a diehard San Antonio Spurs fan, can you honestly, honest to God, name their starting five without looking it up? I can't. They somehow made the playing tournament. Yet the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and, Carm- and Carmelo Anthony and... And Russell Westbrook, they didn't make it. That that is that's unforgivable. But how many times did I sit up here and tell you? I I swear to you, I told you guys the 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 show after it happened. I have to go back and check the date, but I told you guys last summer when the trade was made that that trade was due. Now, granted, I can also raise my hand and all and, and be called a phony because I picked the Lakers to make a deep playoff run. But when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the same team, I mean, I mean, you'd be a complete fool to, to predict the Lakers to finish 11th in a Western Conference as of April the 6th. But I told you guys then. I told you guys in the in the in the early early on in the season. I told you guys in the middle of the season. I've been telling you guys ever since last summer in 2021 that the that the Russell Westbrook trade was doomed from the start. Was doomed from when the transaction was was completed, and that the Lakers' chances of winning a championship automatically plummeted tenfold because they traded. For that player, a player that for all of his quote unquote greatness, the triple double streaks and the triple doubles and the MVPs, this, that, and the other, a player that for all of his regular season acumen as a member of the Washington Wizards and the Oklahoma City Thunder is not a championship winning and a championship caliber point guard and a championship caliber basketball player. He just isn't. He's competitive. He 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 fights. He 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 doesn't throw in a towel. He doesn't quit. You love his competitive and championship level heart and fire that he plays with. But he's not a championship level point guard. Never has been, and in my honest opinion, never will be. Until he legit changes his game or gets lucky when when with if he if he if he joins another team between now and when he decides to hang it up. It's it's just the way he is. We saw it when he and I and I said back when he joined the Houston Rockets with James Harden a few seasons ago that they were never going to win a damn thing. And look and look what happened. He joins the Lakers, doomed from the start. 
I mean, with, with air balls left and right, shooting jump shots that are missing off the off the side of the freaking backboard. I mean, he's just he's just chucking up jumpers that have zero chance of going in. I mean, it, it, it was it was it got to the point where it was comical watching Russell Westbrook play basketball. Comical. I understand he had his moments here in the end of the season, but for the but for seventy five percent of the season, he was a complete disgrace and an eyesore to watch shoot the ball. An eyesore. An eyesore. And instead of him taking accountability and saying, you know what, I got to work on my game, work on my jump shot, and or not shoot the basketball as much as I'd like to. Instead, what does he do? He lashes out at the media. He gets into pissing matches with the media. He plays word salad and plays semantics with, with the media after the game when it got absolutely embarrassed in their own building against against the, against the Clippers back in the month of March and decides, and decides to make, you know, a a a a a a a a annual daily pastime of fans heckling players strictly based on their play he made it personal i understand the death threats and 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 and, and Russ, russell westbrook go kill yourself i understand all when it comes to that level that's crossing the line and that's going too far but fans simply calling him westbrook Westbrick and taunting him and getting on him at Infinite, whether it be on social media or in person when he's at when he's at the arena when the fans pay good and those those tickets are not cheap. The tickets and, and the experience of going to a basketball game, especially with this booming economy with the with inflation going through the roof, I guarantee you one cheap. They got every right to sit up here and scream and yell until their heart's content because Russell Westbrook is is is, is bricking is bricking jump shots off the side of the freaking backboard. They got every right to scream and yell. And Russ, 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 Russell Westbrook, who's been in the NBA long enough, should realize that the whole Westbrook nickname that that kind of derived from Skip Bayless and, and kind of. Took the, the 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 basketball world by storm. It is strictly about his play. Westbrook shooting bricks when he takes the jump shots. He's not coming after his family's history or or coming or coming after or coming after his wife. Coming after anybody. That's that's Russell Westbrook being being, being sensitive and, and and being a child about it. Because he should have enough self awareness and know that. Yes, it yes it is making fun of their last name, but it's not personal. It's strictly about Russell Westbrook, the basketball player. And instead of him taking accountability, changing his game, or changing his game by any stretch of the imagination, or staying in the gym until three o'clock in the morning working on his jump shot, he decides to lash out at the media. He decides to lash out at the fans, and he decides to, and his wife decides to get into a pissing match with Skip Bayless. Learn from learn from Savannah, Mrs. Westbrook, and don't pay Skip Bayless any attention. Good Lord! But I told you guys from last summer onward that that trade was 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 doomed from hell from the very beginning. And on top of that, Anthony Davis never plays. Never plays. I mean, people. Charles Barkley, you know, he, he says stuff to be funny, but there's a lot of truth in what he says. The geezer's line was one thing, and calling Anthony Davis street clothes is another. Whether it's in the bubble, last season, or this year, he never plays. Never plays.
and as and as a big man who has the potential to be to be one of the best big men in the NBA in 2021-2022, way too injured. Way too injured. Every single time you turn around, something wrong with him. Something wrong with his legs, with his, with his knees, his ankles. It's always something with Anthony Davis. Getting paid a lot of money to sit on the bench in expensive clothes and watch. I mean, really? Getting paid good money to do nothing but 65-70% of the time sit with his teammates yucking it up in expensive clothes. Watching the, watching the games. They don't pay you to watch, AD. They pay you to play. He never plays. I understand LeBron pulled the strings to get him there, but he never plays. And 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 and, and his availability was dubious in his final few years down in New Orleans, but he never plays. Always injured. Never, ever, ever plays. And the last thing is LeBron. You know, LeBron's legacy takes a hit here. Okay? I understand the 60-point games, this, that, and the other, and he's and he's done a fan. LeBron, I'm not talking about necessarily LeBron James, the, the basketball player, when it comes down to uh, when it comes down to the stats and the numbers that he's put up this season, because he's done a good job. My issue is LeBron James being the helicopter over overbearing parent, so to speak, with the Laker organization. It's what it's it's my way or the highway. And if it's the highway, I'm out. His legacy takes a hit. When he wants to play de facto GM, yes, he'll get a championship out of it. But in the long run, he leave, he leaves the team in shambles. Cause, because he for whatever the reason, he doesn't like playing with young talent. And he demands that the team, whatever young talent that they have, especially with a lot of these teams that do that do nothing but stink up the joint, the tank to get the young talent, then they get LeBron, and all of a sudden LeBron wants the young talent to go bye-bye. Typically in all the other sports, when you tank to get the young talent, all of a sudden you get the, you get the sensational superstar. The sensational superstar wants to work around the young talent, all of a sudden that's how you build a championship team, whether it's in baseball or in, or in football. You, you know, you 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 tank the you tank to get the one to get the good talent, and either you either you count on drafting that that one superstar caliber player that's going to turn the franchise around, a la the Bengals with drafting Joe Burrow, or you pray to God that a, that a, that a superstar transcendent player falls in your lap and then signs and signs with your team for the right price and free agency. With LeBron and the teams he's been on, it's been the exact opposite. Wants to see, he, he, all the young players wants them out, which 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 uh, which I don't understand. Then he wants then he wants and then, and then he wants all the young t- wants all the players out. Realizes realizes that the writing's on the wall that he can't win. All of a sudden he all of a sudden he did he ditches the team with and leaves and leaves them in ruins. That they got got to pick up the pieces and clean and clean up the mess. I'm all for the player empowerment and all for players calling the shots and 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 having a say on 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 the teammates that they are that they are going to have to play with in order to win championships. But it's a double-edged sword. You get all the credit in the world and you get the praise and you and you and you and you look like a genius when it works. LeBron looked like a genius when he won down in the bubble in October 2020. 
when it backfires, when it backfires on, it comes back to bite you in the ass, and you look like an east end of a westbound horse, and you're and you're somehow some way worse in the Western Conference than the than the Kawhi Leonard less L.A. Clippers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Zion less New Orleans Pelicans, and the who what San Antonio Spurs. You 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 deserve to get criticized. Deserve get criticized to the tenth degree. You deserve to get criticized. Want to play the facto GM? You get you got he has to take some hits here. He brought in Anthony Davis. That was a success. He somehow was was sold a bill of goods that that the team was a Russell Westbrook away from being a championship contender in 2022. Now listen, everybody else for the most part thought that too. I mean, in Vegas they were favored to make it out of the West and they've severely underachieved. But he was sold a bill of goods that Russell Westbrook was going to work out after after he saw the results with Russell Westbrook when he played with Durant in Oklahoma City and when he saw when Westbrook played with James Harden down James Harden down in Houston and he saw how that panned out. Somehow was sold a bill of goods that Russell Westbrook was the answer and and lo and behold they were worse off with Russell Westbrook on the team than when than they were last season without him. Takes a hit here. I understand the season he he's bald and played his tail off, but he takes a hit here with the passive aggressive statements to the media talking about and wishing and counting down the dates so that so he can play with his son Bronny. I mean, come on. With with the love fest with when he when they when the Lakers went up to, to Cleveland a few weeks ago to play the Cavs, the love fest with Kevin Love. Him with him with the him with the him with the comments. Well, the late well the Lakers and the Dodgers and the and the Rams should all get together and throw one big Super Bowl parade when his when his team's a sinking ship. Rams sit up here winning Super Bowls. The Dodgers go out there and sign Freddie Freeman. Two years removed from a World Series, won over a hundred games again. Won the won the NL West, got to the NLCS, and LeBron James sit up here. Well, let's all have one big old kumbaya. Meanwhile, the Lakers are double digits below five hundred. And a sinking ship in a weak Western Conference. He takes a hit. He helped orchestrate this mess. He wanted Westbrook on the team. He wanted. He told uh, uh, Palenka to say, "Screw it." F the, with, with the with the with the less sneed mentality of the quote unquote F them picks and and, and and slash F them young players. Sold all of them out for a bag of cheese doodles and put together this garbage. He takes a hit. Takes a hit. I mean, I and I got hit by greatest of all time. What? What? Greatest of all time. Let me fun, let me key you guys in on something. MJ's Wizards, when Jordan was forty years of age at the turn of the new century, had a better record than this garbage Laker team, and MJ's teammates were. Kwame Brown, Rip Hamilton, and Ty Lue. And the law and the Washington Wizards at any point during his short tenure there, at any point, they were better than 31 and 48. At any point. Better record than this Laker team with four quote unquote top 75 players all time in the history of the NBA. Really? 
Really? Enough for the GOAT. Enough for the GOAT. When you're LeBron James, all I hear about is greatest player of all time, this greatest player of all time, that. And you're calling the shots, and your team produces this garbage and in this in this weak Western Conference. Enough for the GOAT. Enough. Bad enough for still talking about it when he's four when he, when he's got a sub five hundred record in the NBA Finals. Enough. Ownership slash slash front office slash Palenka, the inept GM, Westbrook, Davis who never plays, and LeBron James, and Frank Vogel who the team quit on. Quit on. Piss poor defensively, and they quit on him. Mailed it in. Stop giving a damn. It was the same dog and pony show. It seemed like every night from them. Had had they haven't won back to back games since freaking January. One of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, bar none. A disgrace back after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. We change gears and change our direction to Major League Baseball, believe it or not. They are beginning to uh, opening day for some teams. It's Thursday. Everybody will be going, raring to go come Friday, April the 8th. And before we get to our season predictions, uh, which I will get to in the final segment, just want to give you uh, my two cents on some teams that I'm paying attention to. Want to keep an eye on uh, this MLB season heading in. I uh, got three National League teams and three American League teams uh, as uh, as we will begin the 2022 MLB season. You know, it's weird. You know, the first six days or so of the month of April has felt really weird without live regular without live regular season baseball you know it's just it just has you know the weather has been has been crappy for the most part you know in this part of the country which i you know which i expect at this point but you know it's weird you know especially not the ncaa tournament is over it's weird you know not being able to turn on the tv or checking the my uh my uh espn apple my ipad and seeing that there's no regular season baseball games to be played as of yet. So that to Wednesday night will be the last night I have to uh, worry about that um, as the baseball season is running. Oh, my Warriors don't play until Friday, but they play the Rays, a team that did nothing but beat the Orioles to hell 
and back uh, in the 2021 season. So, you know, tune in for opening day, watch a couple innings, and if they're winning, great. If they aren't, you know, how you doing? Keep it moving on to the next thing. Um, but anyway, we shall move on with the 2022 uh, MLB season. Now, let me begin with team number one that I'm looking, that I want to keep a close eye on this season, and that is the New York Mets uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they sign Scherzer, and two, because they because they hired my guy Buck Showalter to be their new manager. I I read a whole bunch of quotes throughout the short truncated spring training. Buck Showalter, no nonsense guy. He's his his approach to analytics has certainly evolved and has changed since he uh you know since he was the manager of my Baltimore Orioles. Um, he, uh, you know, he's more open to analytics. He is, uh, he provide, I hear people say all the time that he, uh, that he provides that happy medium between the old school manager and, and knowing when, when to plug in and use analytics and that he's a, he's a no nonsense guy, but he is a very respectable and, and likable guy within the Mets clubhouse. So I, and I knew it heading in, heading in, you know, when he got hired back in the winter time, I came on here and said that the that the Mets got got a real one here. They got a guy that it's going to get the best out of his players, and they're going to and they're going to go out there and uh, give it their all and give it their best and kick ass and take names on a night in night out basis. So, you know, hearing the uh, the stories coming out of Met Camp at Port at Port St. Lucie over the last few weeks has not surprised me in the slightest but he was one of the reasons why I'm keeping an eye on this Met team because hey you know with the Orioles being trash and because of the fact that I still f- have not quite been able to let go of those glory years from 2012 to 2017 you know any any little piece of the, of those Orioles teams I'm still willing to hang on I'm willing to hang on with it with my bare fist with all of my grasp because listen and I'm not exercising hyperbole when I say this Buck Showalter is the greatest Oriole manager of my lifetime the greatest Oriole manager of my lifetime I call him the Earl Weaver of my generation and my generation of Orioles fans because he brought winning and playoff baseball to the city of Baltimore for my favorite baseball team. Playoff games, Ori Parker came to the yards and got us a, you know, won us playoff series, playoff games, and won us a, and won us a division championship and got us to the league's final four competing and participating in the American League Championship Series. So I always, I'm always going to have love for Buck Showalter and I'll be rooting for the Mets like hell simply and only because he is the manager of that team and he is a manager that I'll tell you right off the bat that deserves to win a World Series championship more than anybody. May the only person you probably come come up that would probably deserve it more than more than Buck would be Dusty Baker. But Dusty and Buck have been around the game a long time and uh, our our excellent regular season managers specifically have you know their postseason successes are few and far in between. But it would be an absolute uh, treat and an absolute story for either of those two managers to win that elusive World Series championship. You know, we've known Dusty. Dusty wasn't able to get one with the Giants, with the Cubs, with the Reds, with the Nationals. Hasn't been able to get one yet with the Mets. 
Buck, manager of the Yankees, gets fired. Joe Torre comes in there, wins the championship. Same thing with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, with the Rangers, had no success. Ron Washington surely comes behind them and gets them the back-to-back World Series. Has you know, of course that of course that trend bucks with my Baltimore Orioles. No pun intended, of course. But you know, it goes to the goes to my Baltimore Orioles brings brings the winning culture back. They don't get to a World Series. They don't win a championship, and it's a painful split between Buck and yours truly favorite baseball team. I'm also keeping an eye out on them. You know, they got a good lineup. Hopefully Lindor will be able to hit. He wasn't able he couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag last season. They he and Baez with the and and uh with he and Baez and of course that whole team with the, with just the controversy that they found themselves into all season long with the rat when when uh when there was fights going on down in the uh down in the uh, dugout tunnel and and the whole thumbs down thing with Baez, which was a complete mess. So hopefully, you know, Buck Showalter puts an end to all of the to the drama-filled uh, foolishness with the Mets that occurred last season, and they get more focused on winning baseball games. Hopefully, Lindor will be able to hit on on a consistent basis. They're going to need him. A good batter along the top of their lineup. Uh, Pete Alonso was stud first baseman for them, one of the best power hitting first baseman in the sport. And then, of course, it all and, and then their success also depends on whether or not uh, Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom can stay healthy. And as we discussed last episode, uh, that looks like it will not be the case to begin the 2022 season. The Mets are team number two. Team number one on my list. Team number two is the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves they get first of all to get Roberto Acuna Jr. back, a player who you know who they ended up didn't who they ended up not needing. As ironic as that sounds, in order for them to win the World Series championship last year to beat the Astros last October, they get him back. Best player in team fans, uh, you know they're going to need him in the worst way, especially now with Freddie Freeman's gone. That's another reason why I got my eye on him. First season without Freddie Freeman, how how will the fan base respond? How will the the players within the locker room and the locker room chemistry? Uh, will it be will it pick up right where they left off? And and uh, and Matt Olson will fit in like that perfect puzzle piece. So will there be some friction there and the team chemistry and the karma? Like I said back in March, be a little bit upset so to speak because of the fact that Freddie Freeman. Uh, you know, is is not, is not there. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to see how well Matt Olson will be able to fill Freddie Freeman's shoes. Um, and I'm also just interested to see, you know, and you can make the argument that that's going to be one of the best, most competitive. Well, not the best, but I think the NL West. Well, yeah, no, I think the NL East is the best division in the National League. And I intrigued to see how the Braves will respond knowing that the Mets added over the offseason new manager in Buck they're hungry and to see you know having lost their best player their franchise player uh and yet still be up there as far as a a top heavy World Series contender National League along with the along with the Mets and along with the with the Dodgers uh I gotta see if the Braves are, are going to uh respond Especially dealing with that spotlight of being the World Series champions from the previous season. Will they be able to repeat? Uh, Time will only tell with them. Padres. 
they also are another team that's that's heading into the season losing along with the Mets right from the uh, right from the get go with no Fernando Tatis for for a few months with the motor with the motorcycle accident. It's put up a shut up time for him, for Machado, and for that team in general. You know, if you, if this team does not is not competitive and, and collapse in the second half of the season like they did last year and misses the playoffs. There, there needs to be there needs to be some serious, serious, serious changes in the quote unquote Slam Diego. That's all I'm gonna say right now. But I'm gonna keep my uh, eyes peeled for the uh, San Diego Padres. They also got a a good manager in Bob Melvin, who uh, got the uh, at, who got the Oakland A's on the cheap uh, on a as a com- very competitive and postseason. Uh, caliber baseball team on a year-on-year-out basis dealing with the situations that he had to go through with the Oakland A's down in the Bay Area. That's the team. That's the three teams in the National League. As far as the three teams in the American League, got the Toronto Blue Jays, who I think are going to win the division. I mean, their lineup is just too good. Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's going to be a freaking stud. I love the fact that he you know, shed a ton of weight over the offseason. It's going to be bigger, badder, and better than ever uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays this season. I'm really feeling the Blue Jays heading into this 2022 season, to be quite honest with you. I mean, it, I just, I just love, I love the vibe from them in camp. I love the fact that they kind of walk around with that, with that, with that, just that, that I don't give a damn type of swagger that I, I find that really enticing about them as well. I also like the fact that, that for the first time since 2019, you know, they won't have to worry about hopping on the road and living out of suitcases, playing games in Buffalo, New York, Dunedin, Florida, and spending a few in playing a few games up in Toronto, you know, unless anything unforeseen happens, God forbid, knock on wood, you know, they're going to be, it'll be a regular season for them as far as playing their home games north of the border up in Toronto and not have to worry about living out of a suitcase and dealing with the funky schedules of playing their home games in Dunedin, Florida and Buffalo, New and up in upstate Buffalo, New York. So I'm really digging the digging the Blue Jays this season. Keep my eyes and attention on them. They had a sensational uh, 2021 season, uh, although fell short of the playoffs. My eye is on them. My eye is also, oddly enough, as weirdly as it sounds, on the Detroit Tigers. Detroit Tigers were very competitive, had a very, very good, impressive season with A.J. Hinch at the helm last year. Were were very competitive, are hovering around if not a and in moments they were above five hundred in the in the in the in the thick of the MLB season last year, um, and Hitch is a good manager, you know, even without the cheating, he's a good manager, and you know, I'd interesting to see they got that Abacadu guy, I forget, I forget how you pronounce his name, but he's a he's a sensational player uh, for Detroit. Wouldn't wouldn't put it past me if the Tigers, you know, somehow some way finish finish with eighty one wins or better in the two thousand and twenty two season. And the last team is the L A Angels. You know, Trout barely played. He played about the first month of the season last year. Hurt his calf, and then we never saw him again. Uh, Trout and Shohei out there playing. You know. Same lineup on the same field year on a night in night out basis. You know, you would think a team with the two best players in all of baseball on it that they would make that they would make the playoffs. It all depends on whether or not the LA Angels will be able to pitch worth the crap 
And if uh, and if uh, you know they don't weigh, and if and if uh, Shohei doesn't wear himself out doing the double duty with the pitching and uh, with the pitching and the hitting, but you know the Angels, no excuses this time. No excuses. Got to find a way to at least get, a, especially with the expanded with the expanded playoffs. Got to find a way to make the playoffs as a wild card team. Now I'm, saying, I'm not saying you got to win a division, but you at least got to make it as a wild card team. You got Mike Trout and Shohei. You know, Shohei's a Shohei's a two-way player, and Mike Trout is Mike Trout. If you guys, if you guys don't, if if you guys finish any worse than uh, than 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 with eighty-four wins, your season's an embarrassment. Make the playoffs for once, will you, please? And I got to be able to pitch in order to do so. Take a break. My anticipating, or excuse me, my anticipated. Annual MLB season predictions to close out the show, the Amatelica TIS podcast. We welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. I loved I love doing this. One of my favorite shows out of the year is the is the season prediction show for the NFL season, and also the show where I give my MLB season predictions. I love getting into it, giving you know predicting the standings, playoff teams, who's winning what awards. Super Bowl, in football's case, ALCS, NLCS, World Series is that. I absolutely love it. We've done it for what? We've done it for how many consecutive years? The first baseball season I was on the air was 2019. So 19, 20, 21. This will be our fourth baseball season here that I that yours truly has provided his uh, commentary on on the until I can tell you this podcast we do it every single year from the AL East to the NL West um and every and every division every team in between it is time for yours truly's 2021 MLB season prediction Leading things off in the American League East, like I told you guys uh, prior to the last break in the previous segment, I'm really digging the Toronto Blue Jays, man. I Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think absolutely. If you told me that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going to win the Triple Crown this year, I'd I'd say I'd say okay. Just what what how many what 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 was his how much how much how many home runs did he hit how high was his batting average and how many runs did he drive? I mean, this guy is going to take over the baseball world by storm this twenty twenty two season. The Toronto Blue Jays Vegas over under numbers at ninety two and a half. Give me the give me the over with the Toronto Blue Jays finishing at ninety six and sixty six. Winning the American League East. Team number two to finish the second place in the AL East is the Toronto, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Rays. And I do not understand why in the world they traded Austin Meadows. That trade made that trade was a head scratcher. Uh in my in my book, you know, as far as I'm concerned. But the Toronto there's I don't know why I keep on saying Toronto. The Tampa Bay Rays are one of those teams where where they can make all the off-season moves in the world, and yet and yet it not and yet come regular season time, it doesn't even matter one bit. They traded away Blake Snell, their ace in their starting rotation after Kevin Cash's gaffe in in, uh, in the twenty twenty World Series. They went on to win the AL East, went over a hundred games. Doesn't make any sense, but that's the Tampa Bay Rays. And be and just because of the fact they find ways to win, Kevin Cash is a hell of a manager, and that team is 
as unorthodox as as it is put together, it, they get the job done. They're over under number for the season at eighty nine and a half. Go give me the under at ninety and seventy two. They get the first, remember. There's three wild card teams in each league. There's three. There's uh. Do I have that red? Do I have that uh red properly? Yeah, three wild card teams in each league. Six in the American League, six in the National. 12 combined put together between the two leagues just think of it think of it like the think of it like the nfl except except for four division winners is only three with the current wild card format and and there being three wild card teams since 2020 in the nfl instead of two which you had in baseball for the last uh, for the last few seasons, but it but it was the way it was from seventy eight to two thousand nineteen, in which you had six playoff teams with the with the with the, or excuse me twelve playoff teams with the six in each league slash conference. Just to make it clear for you folks at home, but the Rays they getting back to my main point, they find ways to win. Ninety and seventy two, getting the first wild card spot in the American League, finishing in second place in the AL East. Team number three. Finishing in third place in the AL East and getting the third wild card spot is the one and only New York Yankees. Better roster. They said goodnight to Gary Sanchez. You know, whether or not Josh Donaldson will be worth it at the end of the day will, will be worth the positive uh will be worth the positive transaction. All depends whether or not if he's going to be able to stay healthy all season long on a consistent basis. And they did a good job not letting uh, Anthony Rizzo walk because they need a good, solid bat, left-handed bat uh, in their in that uh, in the in that Yan- in that predominantly right-handed Yankee lineup. But I think the Yankees, you know, they they're going they're going to be better than 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 quite a few teams in baseball just based on sheer high-end talent and the fact they can hit the ball nine miles out of the ballpark. I Aaron Boone, who I do not trust under any circumstances, who has has severely underachieved. Um, I I just you know they'll be good, not great. Make the playoffs though. I got the Yankees at eighty seven and seventy five. They're over on the number for the season. Uh, in Vegas is at ninety one and a half. I'll go the over. Or excuse me, go the under on that. The Boston Red Sox finishing in fourth place. I believe f- four teams in the American League will all finish with five hundred records or better. Boston Red Sox finishing in fourth place at eighty five and seventy seven. Their over and the number is eighty five and a half. I'll push it. Have them win eighty five games exactly. They had a magical, unforeseen a season in two thousand and twenty one with with a, with a nice postseason run, making it all the way to the um excuse me making it all the way uh making it to the uh winning a play what yeah winning a playoff series beating the American League best record in the in their division rival uh Tampa Bay Rays advancing to the ALCS uh advancing to the ALCS to play the uh to play the Houston Astros I think that they take a step back a little bit. They lost Swarber during the offseason, which hurts them. They're over a number for the season at 85 and a half. Uh, give me a push once again at 85 and 77. And my uh, pathetic waste of my damn time, uh, garbage, embarrassing, offensive to the senses, Baltimore Orioles. They're over a number for the season at 62 and a half. I'll go the under on that. This team will once again for another consecutive season, not counting 2021, excuse me, the 2020 uh, truncated COVID season, lose over 100 games. 
and I have them at sixty and one hundred and two. Um, I'm hearing I'm hit. You know, they got we're getting into a pissing match. Uh, in a few weeks ago in spring training about whether or not whether to pay Trey Mancini with the arbitration and, and hearing rumors of whether or not he could be traded before the season's over. If I get too worked up about that, I'll, ha- I'll, I'll, I'll lose my damn mind. So I'll just say the Orioles, de facto, worst team in the division, lose over 100 games, division's doormat once again, and other news, the sky is blue. Uh, moving over to the American League Central, I got the Chicago White Sox winning the division at 94 and 68. They're all running over for the season at 91 and a half. Did a did a good job making it to the postseason last year. You liked them to pitch well. They couldn't pitch worth a damn against Houston in their divisional playoff series uh, last October. But I feel but I think that they'll be better. Lucas Giolito will do a good job for them in that starting rotation. And Tim Anderson is just an absolute freaking stud. And they got Tony LaRusso, who's a Hall of Fame manager, who's who's got a plaque sitting up in Cooperstown. I think they'll win the division at ninety four and sixty eight over under number for the season at ninety one and a half. Give me the over. The team to finish the second place. I talked about them in the previous segment. The Detroit Tigers. AJ Hintel, the manager. They got good young talent that's starting to come together a little bit. Don't be surprised if the Detroit Tigers are competing in the are competing in the postseason as a wild card team in 2023, 2024, and 2025 at the latest. I got their over and over for the season at 77.5. Give me the over at 84 wins. Uh, you know, I'll be very intrigued to see what the Tigers do uh, this season. Young talent, and they got a good manager who's looking to prove himself and, and essentially reshape his image after the whole cheating uh, fiasco with the Astros in 2017. The Minnesota Twins, I got finishing in third place at 75 and 87. They're over our number. They're over under number for the season is at 81 and a half. Give me the under for that. Um, uh, you know, I just don't see the Twins just being a big-time factor in the American League Central. Uh, moving on to the Cleveland Guardians, they locked up uh, Ramirez earlier the, earlier in the day. Terry Francona's back, who's a good manager. They'll, you know, and Shane Bieber, who's a stud, who's one of the best pitchers in the American League. They'll have him competitive. But I think the writing is on the wall when it comes to the Cleveland franchise. First year as the Guardians putting the Indians' name to bed. They'll finish the season at 75 and 87. They're over, over under number for the season at 76 and a half. Give me the under for them. Uh, and then finishing in last place, Kansas City Royals at 70 and 92. They're over under number 74 and a half. Had a nice little start to begin the 2021 season. Still a rebuilding process. They called up uh, the, the the Bobby Kid, their their middle infielder, earlier today on Wednesday. He'll be a part of their opening day regular season roster. Be competitive at times, but I think that they got a little ways to go in the Central, finishing at seventy and ninety-two. American League West, as we wrap up the American League, the Houston Astros, I believe, will win the division. With a record of ninety three and sixty nine, they're over and under over under number in Vegas this season at ninety one half. Give me the over. Dusty Baker's a hell of a manager, like I said in the previous segment. He and Buck Showalter, one of the best regular season managers all time, that it, that has not yet won a World Series championship. Uh, they got Altuve in the lineup. They losing Correa will hurt them. Well, will hurt them. Uh, will will hurt them a great deal. But Altuve's there. Um, and Altuve's there, 
Starting pitching, starting pitching is not as great as it once was, but it's but it's definitely serviceable, and I think that they'll be able to will their way to win 93 games and win the division in the American League West. They're over on over under number once again 91 and a half. Team I got finished in second place that won 90 games and missed the playoffs by the hair of their chinny chin chin last season came down to the final weekend of the regular season and they could not make it in. And that is the Seattle Mariners who are currently the longest at who are currently the longest active uh the longest active team in I know in baseball, I believe in all the professional sports. Don't don't quote me on that, but I know for sure in baseball they're the long they they got they currently have the longest active playoff drought uh in the sport, which which is kinda cra- which is kinda crazy when you think about it because you hear all the critiques about baseball about lack not necessarily lack of parity, but the but the huge gap between the haves and the have nots and the fact that you got players who are making more than entire teams' payrolls, with Max Scherzer being a perfect example, who I saw a few days ago uh, throughout the throughout the interwebs and on social media. You know, you hear all this, and it's rightfully so, and, and equal and fair criticism, this, that, and the other. But when you really sit back and think about that, 29 out of the league's 30 teams have at least had a, have have at least made at least one playoff appearance. At, since the turn of the new century, 20, 2021, 22 years ago, it, it, it's, it's, it's pretty freaking remarkable. I mean, every, te- every team since the turn of the century has, has, has competed in the playoffs. Even the Pittsburgh Pirates, even the Marlins, even my Baltimore Orioles, even the, uh, the, the Cincinnati Reds. Crazy, crazy, crazy when you think about it. Tampa Bay Rays also. Crazy when you think about it, about, you know, there you got, and again, rightfully so, and all the criticisms just, but it's just an ironic, it's, it's, it's an ironic nugget that, that in a team, that in a sport where that, where the gap between the haves and have nots have been so ridiculously wide that 29 out of the league's 30 teams have can say that they participated in playoff baseball in the 21st century. The, the Mariners, too. But he, the Mariners too. But the fact that the Mariners have the have the longest active drought going, and they and they've competed in playoff baseball in the twenty first century, makes it all the more crazy. But anyway, it's on the end or there. They will finish, in my honest opinion, with eighty eight wins and get the second wild card spot in the American League at eighty eight and seventy four, finishing in second place in the American League West. Um, they're over under North for seasons eight three and a half. Give me the over for the Seattle Mariners. I think it is their time here in two thousand and twenty two after they came oh so close uh, last season in twenty twenty one. Angels finishing in third place at eighty four and seventy eight, missing the playoffs. They'll be competitive. They'll be good. They'll be in contention with Madden as their manager and Shohei and Mike Trout. But I gotta see it to believe it with the LA Angels. That that it's just that's just not gonna be the. Uh, Mike Trout and Shohei show to carry them the relevance, albeit they did add uh, Noah Syndergaard 
uh, during the offseason. They'll finish above 500, but I think they'll just miss out on the postseason with an 84-78 record. Finishing in fourth place is the uh, is the Texas Rangers at 72 and 90. They're over and under number for the season at 70. I'll go under with I'll go over with that. Angels over on numbers 83. I'll go slightly over with them as well. The A the Oakland A's, you know, just a complete fire sell. The they you know everything must go clearance rack, you know, any player with any value, any good player, sell them off for uh, for a bag of cheese doodles and a quarter of ice cream. I think they they could they could shock the world and be one of the worst teams in the sport. Uh, their attendance is in the toilet. They play in a literal toilet with the Odak with the Oakland Coliseum. Over numbers at seventy. Give me the under with that finish in last place. Bob Melvin, their manager's gone. I believe the Oakland A's will finish in last place at 53-109. and 109. Uh, and, uh, and moving over to the National League, I got the Braves finishing in first place, winning, winning the division. Uh, winning the division once again at ni- this time with a record of 95-67. and 67. I believe they will be better regular season-wise. Uh, regular season-wise without Freddie Freeman, as weird as that might sound, to get Acuna back. They are a good team. Snickers, a hell of a manager. And Thopless, one of the best GMs, if not arguably the best GM in the sport. They win 95 games, win a division. They're over under number in Vegas at 90 and a half. The uh, New York the New York Mets are sitting, I think, will finish in second place. Uh, at 90 and 72 and get the second wild card spot in the National League. They're over and over on number over under number for the season at 90 and a half. I believe they'll push simply because of the fact that they're going to have to deal with no the who knows on Scherzer's status, but we know that they'll go without the ground for a, for a substantial amount of time, which will hurt them. But I mean, hey, if Buck Showalter found a way found a way to win 90 games. 90 plus games and even win division with the with the starting rotation of the likes of Roberto Jimenez, J- uh, Jason Hamill, Wei-Yin Chen, Miguel Gonzalez, uh, Chris Tillman. I mean, if he can win, if he can win 90, 90 plus games with that starting rotation, I mean, I'm pretty sure he he'll 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 be able to manage just fine with with the Grom and Scherzer missing a month or so. Uh, to begin to begin the to uh, to begin the season, Buck Buck Showalter knows how to pull strengths better than any manager uh, in the sport. I got the Mets finishing in second place. The Phillies who finished in third at eighty eight and seventy four, finishing in third place. The Phillies, you don't know how to read them. They're a very inconsistent, up and down baseball team. Uh, I don't think Bryce Harper will be, will be one will be one of the reasons why they'll they'll miss the playoffs. I think we'll have a very good season in 2022. Uh, but hit, they're over on number for for the season's 85 and a half. Put up a shut up time for the Braves too, or excuse me for the Phillies too. They they I believe they hold the longest active playoff drought at, for teams in the National League. Uh, put up a shut up put up or shut up time for them too. You know Bryce Harper. You know, the year you left, your ex team won a championship. How you know how many matches can you buy? You sign a big fat contract. It's about time for Bryce Harper to get back into uh, playing October baseball, wouldn't you say so? I got the Phillies finishing at eighty-eight and seventy-four in the National League East. Marlins finishing at seventy-seven and eighty-five. They'll be competitive. Some people say that they got one of the best starting rotations in in the entire division. 
They're going to be competitive. They got nowhere else to go but up. I got the Marlins finishing at fourth place at a respectable 77 and 85. They're over on a over on number for the season at 76 and a half. Give me the over on them. The Nationals have 74 and 88 finishing at last base. I think the National League East record-wise would be the best division in the sport as far as teams finishing with 70 wins or more. Uh, I could do the math, but but their division is probably uh, the win percentage rise is probably slightly worse than uh, than the AL East, at least according to my predictions, with all four teams finishing with 85 wins or more. But anyway, getting back to the East, the National 74 and 88, they're over on, over on the North for season 71 and a half. Give me the over with the Nationals at 74. Moving over to the Central, uh, I got the, this is by far the worst, you can make the argument is the worst division in all of baseball, and definitely in the National League, um, it's it's a two it's a two team race. Whoever wins the division wins the division. Whoever finishes in second, oh well, boo hoo. See you next season. Uh, and I don't think there'll be a they'll, the the winner of the NL Central will win ninety games. The Brewers I got winning the division at eighty eight and seventy four. Corbin Burns, hell of a stud coming out in their rotation. Uh, for Milwaukee, they're over under number for the season at 88 and a half. I'll push with them and they'll win the division. Cardinals, they brought back, uh, they brought back Albert Pujols. They'll be a respectable product this season. They let, uh, they let their manager, I forget his name, uh, Mike Schilt go, go by the, go by the wayside, uh, after last season, which I still cannot cop and understand and wrap my head around the reason why they made the they made the postseason last season wild card game and he, and he got bounced eighty five and seventy seven over under number for them eighty four and a half go over the Cubs at seventy three and eighty nine they're over number for, over under number for the season at seventy five and a half give me the under Reds uh, they are another one to complete fire sale essentially after the lockout ended and once uh, spring training. The late spring training uh, be, uh, commenced. Complete fire sell with them. They'll offer a number over under numbers at 74 and a half. Give me the under. They'll go 63 and 99 and finish in fourth place. Worst team in the century will be the Pittsburgh Pirates at 61 and 101. Over under number for the season is at 65 and a half. Give me the under for Pittsburgh. And then go to the West. Uh, I believe you have three playoff teams come out of the National League West this season. The Dodgers win the division at 101 and 61. They're over under nerf for the season at 97 and a half. Give me the over. They add, they got Mookie Betts. They got free. Bellinger. I'd be concerned about Bellinger. Has not hit well the last couple of seasons. Was pathetic in spring training. I'd be concerned about him coming out of the gate. Uh, but they, but they, but they went out there and they got uh, Freddie Freeman for a reason. I think he'll be able to pick up the slack at least for the moment, just fine. And the and the Dodgers regular season wise be the best team in baseball. I'm not in love with uh, with Dave Roberts going on record and saying we're going to win the World Series because you know I guarantee you come a playoff series in mid October when when that spot that he did I forget what at what avenue or what medium he did it for whether it was radio print TV whatever I guarantee you that 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 quote. That was that I saw was in the headlines a few weeks ago will be long like away from our memories, but I guarantee you come a postseason series against say the eighty against an eighty eight win uh, Milwaukee Brewers team or a ninety one New York Met team, I guarantee you that will somehow some way find its way out of the woodwork again and be used as bulletin board material. 
I don't like that when when managers or head coaches go out there and call their shots because a it a, a it puts the, it selfishly puts the pressure on his players because the players are like oh well coach or, or or skip went out there and ran his mouth now now we got to go up there and back it up and so he doesn't go out there and look like a complete idiot and a complete moron to the world and then you know and then you know teams get tight they blow leads they you know they, they don't play up the expectation so i don't like what dave roberts did on any circumstances but they got one of the best rosters in the sport they'll win over 100 games without even thinking about it and win a division at 101 61 uh, I did, I put up a shut up time for the Braves, like I said previous segment. If you're not if you're not going to win over ninety games and make the playoffs this season, when are you going to ninety three and sixty nine? And without Fernando Tatis to begin the season, mind you, they get the first wild card spot via rec by via excuse me best record uh, in the National League at ninety three and sixty nine. They're over under number for the season at eighty eight and a half. Bob Melvin will do a, will do a hell of a job down there and quote-unquote slam Diego. number Team number three to finish in the NL West to get the third and final wild card spot in the National League will be the San Francisco Giants who had that remarkable, uh, eye-popping, completely just jaw-dropping, shocking 2021 season. Take a little bit of a step back. They'll be competitive, but not as great and dynamic as they were last season. 89 and 73 get the third and final wild card spot, finishing in third place in the National League West. They're over on over on the number for the season is 85 and a half. Give them the over for them. Rockies finishing with 69 wins, finishing in fourth place. They're over on an over on a number for the season is at 68. Give them the over for them. Diamondback finishing in last place at 65 and 97. Give me the under on them they're offering over on the number for the season is at 66 and a half my american league championship series is as follows i think it'll be a blue jay white Sox championship series uh with the with the two get with the with the game's two best and youngest stars and vlad jr and tim anderson should be a hell of a series in the a in the alcs um, and and then and then on the National League side in the National League Championship Series, a rematch of last year between the Braves and the Dodgers. Freddie Freeman going up against his old team to get back to another World Series, and I think the Blue Jays win the win that ALCS in set uh, in seven games, and I think the Braves will beat the Dodgers once again in the NLCS in six games. I don't understand why the Dodgers, you know, they they let. By the way, they let Jansen go to the Braves, and they and they couldn't wait to get their hands on Craig Kimbrell. Why? I have no idea. Uh, but I think that will play a factor if these two teams are so fortunate to go up against each other in yet another National League Championship Series. My World Series prediction: Chicago White Sox, American League champions; Atlanta Braves, back-to-back National League champions. Give me the Atlanta Braves to repeat and win the 2022 World Series in six games. Awards predictions. Lucas Giolito got winning the American League Cy Young. Corbin Burns got winning the National League Cy Young. The reason why I don't have uh, Scherzer and DeGrom because their injury problems uh, scare me. Uh, I got Vlad Jr. winning American League MVP in a freaking landslide representing the Blue Jays. National League MVP, I got Freddie Freeman as his first season as an L.A. Dodger. Manager of the year in the American League, Scott Servers for getting the, uh, for getting the uh, Mariners to their first, uh, to their first uh, the, the 
playoff dance since 01. And National League Manager of the Year, Buck Showalter, getting the Mets to win 90-plus games and as a wildcard team as, as his first year with the New York uh, as first season with the New York Mets, I also think there's also a we- there's also a weird trend with Buck Showalter where every ten years he's won Manager of the Year. Let me double check, or yeah, well yeah, it is. It, I thought I thought it was by 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 uh by the twos. It's actually by the fours. In ninety four, oh four, and twenty fourteen, he won Manager of the Year. I thought it was 92-2000-2012. But I think, and it's three-time American League. He he won it with the Yankees, won it with the Rangers, won it with, of course, with my Baltimore Orioles in their sensational, magical 2014 season. I think Buck Showalter will add a National League Manager of the Year trophy to his resume. And that is yours truly's 2022 MLB season predictions. And that is another episode of the Yamatel podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it T-I is. It is your boy Jai Shields. Enjoy the Masters and happy opening day, everybody. I will talk to you guys next time. Y'all stay safe. See you.